This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm Yes, and welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, 3 Triple R's weekly Q&A for what may be. It's got a nice little cadence to it, hasn't it? Yes. Indeedy. <laughs> Bushy's my name, and the voice you just heard was Kate Dundas, who is a regular co-host. How are you, Katie? I'm very well, thank you, Bushy. Behind the scenes and running the panel this evening is Brendan Beeston. Thank you very much, Brendan, for coming in this week. Katie. Hello. We've got a guest in the studio this evening. <laughs> we have a guest. Can you introduce? I can. So tonight we are delighted to welcome Philippa Chandler, who is currently based at the University of Melbourne at Vale, which is the Victorian Eco-Innovation Lab. And you also tutor in cultural geography and urban design. So we've had um, your colleague on the show a few times, Shona Candy, and we're very happy to have you on tonight. And we're going to be focusing on a recent project, which is called the Visions and Pathways 2040, Scenarios for Low-Carbon Living. So we'll talk about the scenarios in a second, but can you just give us an overview of what the project is? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Bushy and Kate. It's fantastic to meet you and be here at Triple (laughs) R. So the project is uh, a four-year research project and it's organised by uh, the Victorian Eco Innovation Lab, which is based at the Melbourne School of Design at Melbourne Uni, Mm -hmm. just around the corner. And the project is all about envisioning what a low-carbon Aussie city in 2040 might look and feel like, which is perhaps something we've idly imagined before. But this tries to get those idle imaginations into into something more concrete that we can discuss and debate. Mm. Yeah. So you've come up with a number of different documents, and one of them is called Scenarios 2040. So we often talk on this show about what might the future look like, and what you know we talk sporadically about permaculture and. Uh, green energy and all of these different things but what you've done in this document is really analyse specifically particular scenarios for the future and come up with four different ways of living. Mm. So shall we first talk about the potential four ways that we may end up living in an Aussie city in 2050? 2040 is not even that far away and some of them are a little bit scary. It's coming up soon like Christmas 2040 before you know it will be in the shops. Yeah it will. (laughs) Smelling like pine needles. Yeah. Okay, so, yes, we've, we've distilled about three years' worth of conversations mm. into these four scenarios. Do you want to hear them? Yes, please. Okay, so the first scenario we call, we call clean tech corporate living. So in this vision of the future, big business comes in and solves all our environmental problems. Mm. So this is the scenario where Tesla comes in and saves the day. Like a god. Like a god. <laughs> yeah. 
In this scenario, um, we are a low-carbon future, but our efficiencies are driven by price, okay? Right. The price is right. We're still consuming just as much, but the products that we're consuming are made uh, in, in new, innovative, energy-efficient ways. Um, data is privately owned and will be sold for profit. Mm. A little bit potentially controversial. Yep. And here's the most controversial one. I know Kate was freaking out about this. In this future, we pay for our green spaces. Yeah. So you can expect to have the park privately managed, mm-hmm. maybe even the beach, mm-hmm. owned by somebody, maintained to a high degree, yep. and we pay to visit our local park or our wetlands because big business rules... In this vision, they do it very efficiently and they're saving the environment, but we're all consumers in this world. Yes. Mm. What do you think of that scenario? I feel scared. I, I, I just think of the I movie. feel like Adam's head is exploding as Absolutely. he's listening to this. Oh, my head's exploding. It <laughs> makes me think of the movie adaptation of The Lorax, right, it's where uh, Thneedville um, is like there's not a single real piece of uh, tree or grass or anything in there and um, Mr O'Hare is in business selling fresh air. This is a good one. Maybe in this scenario, he's preserving the Sneeds and right. charging us to use them. <laughs> right. And maybe he's selling renewable fresh air. There's a lot yeah. of these things happening yeah. already. If I'm, I'm just looking at the snapshots here. So a predominance of privately owned autonomous vehicles, that's going to happen. It is happening at the moment. Multiple proprietary car charging banks, we're seeing that happen all over the place. Mm. When I design places now, we often put car charging spaces in them inner city metro being built right now um robotic services including a car valley plenty of those around high-tech building facades and envelopes happening um a persuasiveness of major brands it's it's happening you can see it i mean you've got these photo montages here with coles and other brand names Mm. splashed all across them that is happening right now access cards being required to enter a park fills me with dread the one great communal space we have where you don't need money and you don't need to be anything you can just go and have a wonderful time and meet your neighbours on a very open civic communal flat platform now it's a dollar has a gate (laughs) okay but we think that these scenarios all have something to commend them yep so we think that each scenario is going to have its pros and cons but Mm. I think ultimately these are four scenarios that would achieve a low carbon Aussie future Mm. if you believe that manufacturing more in a cleaner way is the way to go forward mm. and using more energy and we don't have all that energy we don't have all the plastic mm. to create all of this stuff no, we don't, no. i don't think i can't see this being a realistic maybe future. we should run this with a what do you think yay or nay do you think yay or nay well you get if you get the end of this scenario okay how about yay or nay. how about how about i try selling you on scenario two yeah okay, should we listen it. to scenario two yes, yes. Okay, so in scenario two, we call it planned regulated living. Mm. So in scenario two, our government starts making good environmental decisions. Okay. Mm. Mm. So it's a kind of top-down planned order. There's lots of more rules and regulations about the environment. Mm -hmm. So suddenly to build a house, you'll need to meet even more red tape and environmental laws and meet really high standards. In this version of the future, um, we've got really uh, strong building codes and we'll be retrofitting our existing buildings. There'll be things like government grants, government subsidies to kind of encourage every person to be meeting really high environmental standards. 
we'll also be seeing public investment in sustainable urbanism. So yes. we'll be seeing money going into mm. uh, environmental facilities for all. We'll see things like uh, information about the environmental performance of our cities mm. being publicly owned. So can you imagine if the city of Melbourne was, say, live tweeting our energy mm. on an hourly basis as a city? So we could all constantly be checking in with our environmental performance. So in this scenario, we would need to get used to modifying our behaviour and our expectations to kind of conform. There's an element of conformity mm. with this. But as a result, we kind of... We are also achieving a low-carbon future, but one that really requires our trust in government. Yeah. What do you think of that scenario? <laughs> when, you, when you started off with government making good decisions, I thought, okay, so this is the least I, likely one. I enjoy this scenario mm. because well, as an urban designer working for government, we always hope <laughs> that mm. the government and so, so federal and state government will make these really proactive choices. So this is the future where Kate Dundas gets to set the rules, is it? Well, I quite like the idea of that, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> A benevolent but, Dundas dictatorship. <laughs> A done data shit. Oh, you're exposing my terribly dark side here. I quite enjoy it. <laughs> it's interesting because when you think about um, uh, low carbon ecological uh, future because people are willing to conform to it, I see that as a, a very unlikely yeah. thing. I mean, you look at... Um, we just saw this election last week. If anyone missed it, Trump became the president of the USA and there was this huge thing about... Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you off here, it's crazy stuff. There was this whole thing about everyone wanting change, but as individuals, no one wants to change. The idea that a top-down approach would work at this point in history, I find uh, almost impossible to believe. But that's why I, I, I dare say a huge amount of drive might come in another scenario you've also got down there. I feel like it's going to be a combination of these scenarios because when I look down this list I can see I mean some of these things are happening at the moment we've got vertical wind generation happening solar generating bike mm -hmm. paths happening a bike bicycle and walking friendly environment happening in all the plans that we write not happening in actuality because yep. there's not a strong drive from government at the moment and there's not the leadership there needs to be no modern trams partially happening but like there's a lot of this stuff on this list happening urban agriculture for local consumption partly happening mm. you know there's there's a lot of these things beginning to be seen and i'm so glad you're bringing that up because all of these scenarios to us feel like each of them are starting to happen. We mm. feel like we could go in any direction. Mm -hmm. And that I'll talk later about the next step of the project is about our what we call pathways to these futures. Mm. But as, as you say, Kate, there are, we call them the seeds. There's seeds of these ideas in the present day all the time. Yeah, it's like, it's like you're kind of testing various things out at the moment to see what's going to happen, mm. to see what the appetite is. And the appetite for some things like urban agriculture now with 3,000 acres, we're looking at what works and what doesn't. And it's very different now to what it was four years ago. So it'll be interesting to see what it's like in another four years' time, regardless of 2050. Mm. Should I try to convince you about scenario three? Yes. Okay. Give it a whip. Okay, so scenario three we call networked entrepreneurial living. So in this scenario, it's kind of a Turnbullian fantasy. Turn, oh. like, Turnbull, like agile. Malcolm, like Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> you know these jargon words like agile yes. and lean and on demand? Yes. Disruptive. Yeah. Disruptive. Disruptive. Okay, so in networked entrepreneurial living is agile and lean. Everybody is out to make a buck in a bottom-up fashion. 
So you might remember scenario one was big business solving all our problems. Well, networked entrepreneurial living is about the little guys, about the small businesses getting in to save all our environmental problems. Mm. So it's all about the efficient use of assets. So if I have a spare room, I'm renting it out to you, Bushy. Mm -hmm. If I've got a spare car, I'm renting it out to Kate. This is the kind of Uber, Airbnb, Airtasker sort of future. Yep. But perhaps actually rather than those big, they're quite big brands, but the kind of miniature versions of those. Okay. Everybody's out sort of hustling, but in an environmental manner. So I might, for example, have uh, solar panels. But I'll sell my surplus electricity to you, Bushy, Directly. and make a profit. Yep. So no middleman. So this is a peer-to-peer. That's another one of those mm. phrases we hear all the time. This is a peer-to-peer economy, but it's for profit. Yep. For individual profit. For, yes. The profit, I guess, is at a sort of lower, more distributed level than in that first scenario. Yeah. Is there a mechanism in place to, I don't know, contain... You know, so what, what starts off as a little business, like, you know, um, a little burger restaurant owned by the Donald Brothers potentially becomes 10,000 stores, billion served. Is there a, a mechanism in that scenario that prevents someone who's a bit more savvy, a bit more of a shark, a bit more of a hustler from... To go big. To go. To expand. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if we've got a mechanism that would prevent that. Mm. Um Although in this scenario, we see it as a culture of innovation where people themselves are finding these novel solutions. Okay, driven by a money-making desire. Yes, correct. Mm, So mm. we've got decentralised renewable energy trading Mm. um, and and it's this freelance kind of culture. This is one of those um, futures where we all work in co-working hubs and we don't really have employers, Mm -hmm. which... Is happening now. Is happening a lot um, to all my friends in all sorts of industries, so many of us. Um, so my friends are freelancers or on casual basis, I'm sure you guys... Yeah, I feel Kate, like that has changed a lot as well over the past couple of years. The amount of co-working spaces that have popped up, the amount of people trying to go it alone as opposed to having an employer. Mm. Um, I mean, that there's dramatic changes in the way that the workforce operates and the way that this peer-to-peer thing is happening. And I wonder if it's the way that we've learned to use the internet or the way that we can be in contact with people now is different. Mm. I'm Joel Salatin, known as the Lunatic Farmer, encouraging you to tune in every time you can to the muckraking, compost-loving, cud-chewing, soil-building, water-cleaning vanguard of Urban Hillbilly Radio, greening the apocalypse on Radio 102.7, Free Triple R. And you are listening to Green in the Apocalypse and tonight we're talking to Philippa Chandler, researcher at the Victorian Eco Innovation Lab at University of Melbourne and we are partway through a discussion on the pathways and, let me just get the right name, the Visions and Pathways 2040 project. Um, We're talking through four different scenarios and we've just started talking about the fourth Tell us about the fourth, Philippa. Thanks, Kate. So just to recap, we're going through these four different scenarios about the future of Aussie cities. So that we've, we've come up with these four ways that we think um, this low-carbon future could unfold. I've given you three already. You guys haven't been super keen on any of them. <laughs> so I wonder how you're going to feel about the fourth. So we call the fourth scenario community-balanced living. In the office, we call this series on steroids. 
You know, series. Series Environmental Park. Yeah, Series yeah. Environmental Park in Brunswick, Melbourne. It's a bit of a bit of a hippie hangout. Mm. It's a sort of um, well, you guys are both probably pretty au fait with series. Do you want yeah. to describe it? It's an ex-quarry now community hub um, with various different educational facilities, a market garden, yep. a really great market, a couple of cafes, yep. lots of lovely teaching and outreach to the community. Lots of rocket and olive oil yeah. and revegetation programs. Chickens, Beautiful. chickens. Yeah, chickens. Well, I hear in series, if you have a chicken like Madge or Harold, you know, Madge just got found in Plenty Road and rehomed by a man on a bike. Anyway, I'll tell you that story one day. Um, <laughs> that, well, that sounds like the kind of thing that would happen in this future because okay. this future is all about community, well-being, looking after each other and, of course, looking after each other's stray chickens. Mm. So this is the community balanced living scenario where it is a kind of... The things that we're prioritising in this future are sharing our well-being and in this scenario we've kind of learned to reduce our consumption... Yep. Okay. So in this scenario, everybody has read Grubby's book, The Art of Frugal, he- Frugal Hedonism. Oh, Adam's mm. book. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Everybody's learned to kind of um, live with less. Yep. Or sort of live more, consume less. Mm. So it's a bottom up, localized uh, system where there's a, a large degree of um, distributed systems. So people are kind of, it's a sort of off grid world where people are doing things locally in their local communities mm-hmm. so um, by sharing our resources living locally and consuming less that's how we're achieving uh, re- reductions in our emissions in this future yep. what do you guys think of this future i think that this if adam was here he'd be delighted by this future um it's a kind of permaculture focused future um i think it involves a very dramatic change from the way that we live in the, at the moment and it's probably more achievable outside of the city at the beginning um, or in the suburbs at the beginning. I really like the way that the, path, the Pathways document that we're going through um, breaks down these scenarios into high density, medium density and low density um, discussions. Um, so in the high density version of this communal living, we've got extensive use of green walls on buildings, public markets, significant social interaction on the street and a number of other things. But I wonder how we would actually be able to transition to that type of lifestyle in the in a city environment now because there isn't the infrastructure that we would need and the access to the type of things we would need to create a distributed economy. There's the, it's too complex and tangled, the way that we access energy, the way that we access food and things like that in a, in a really complicated city-dense environment. Mm. Um, but if we were to transition to that type of lifestyle, retrofitting the suburbs could be a real possible way to get there in the in the suburban environment and very much i mean macedon bushy where you yeah. live this stuff's happening now is it? yeah uh, well some of it is happening um it's uh, yeah well it is to some degree there's more there's more a greater awareness of it and a, probably a greater capacity to do it i think so i like this idea i also think it's the trickiest one to i hate to use the word sell but it's kind of the hard one to sell. And it's coming off, you know, we've had a century of everybody getting a bit more each year. You know, like I, my grandparents or great-grandparents would have lived in an era far more recognisable as, as how we've depicted this where something breaks 
you will fix it, but it also probably won't break because it was made well and you have maybe one of them and you cherish it. Um, it was interesting when I went through some of the aspects of the of, of the document, there was some interesting stuff in there that it caught my eye kind of, it caught me off guard, but it was stuff about smart gadgets. And there was an example in there, I think I was talking to you off air about the idea of a smart kettle, an energy efficient smart kettle that can tell that there's only one of you home, so it only boils enough water for one cup of tea. Now... I have a smart kettle at home. It's a saucepan <laughs> and it's a sense of being able to gauge how much water I need and it's sitting in the kitchen waiting for it to boil. <laughs> so it's a more, I guess... That's the smart man. <laughs> well, it's well, it's a thing. I, I guess it, we've, you've got to actually participate in things. Like, So there was some great... In the nineteen post-war boom that um, Donald Trump is promising to restore for us, there were things that came on online that were phenomenally nifty. And a washing machine is a good example because you don't have to take your washing somewhere and manually scrub it. You can put it into this machine and it will wash your clothes and you can walk away from it. But you've still got to make sure, you know, that the sink's not blocked up for the overflow. And there's, there's some things that you've got to be mentally participating in. So the idea of smart gadgets and smart wired and all those sorts of things, you know, I just know how... If I'm driving an automatic car, for example, any long distance, I know my capacity to kind of drift off. As opposed, yeah, I I think it's very personality based. All of this stuff. Yes. I, what I see the future becoming is a mashup of community living, big business driven, mm. social entrepreneurship, and everything. Because we're all different, we all yep. react to very different ways to ideas. Mm. Not all of us are going to want to spend time putting our energy into working out how to like digitize a kettle no but some people will love doing that and it'll be a fabulous <laughs> way for them to reduce their energy consumption certainly the other thing i wanted to say to touch on that as well is um so my brother's quite brilliant at fixing electrical stuff you know he can turn he you know he used to collect these old retro computers and pull out the sound card to build synthesizers and he build all this phenomenal stuff but he still needs the component and he can't build the component from scratch. So if I think about, jeez, um, if push comes to shove, I can probably get even you know a pot with a broken handle and still use it to cook food, but I can't repair a chip inside a smart, like a thermomix or a cooker or something like that. Where I'm more personally drawn to very simple stripped back stuff is that m my sense is that that's what we've kind of survived with for the longest time anyway, like very simple, mega, minimal... So it, it sounds like you're a fan of Scenario 4, Community yeah. Balanced Living, but you think it will be a hard sell. Yeah, mm. I, mm, I think we need... I, I, if I could choose two, I'd choose Community Balanced Living plus uh, Scenario 2, Planned Regulated Living. Oh, that was the, um, dun, the Dundas dictatorship. Yeah, well, <laughs> if we could not, not, call, not call it the Dundas dictatorship, if we could call it fabulously strong leadership from the federal and state governments so of any, Glasgow. For, oh. any, for any listeners who missed that, that was scenario two, planned regulated living, which mm. is where the government starts making good decisions and introducing mm. lots of environmental laws and regulations. Yeah, yeah. we need both. And Kate quite liked it. We need both. We need leadership from the top and we also need the ability for people to make their own decisions and mm. have grassroots driving the real change. Yeah. But... You can't have the corporates making these crazy, really terrible decisions no. because that's where the massive change comes from, really. And, Bushy, what scenarios have been appealing to you then? You like number four, community mm. balance living. Any oh. others appealing? Any other elements? Oh, look, there was... Yeah. 
give, throw us the sheet <laughs> yeah. a second. There's a few things in there. Um, well, I think I think the idea of efficiency is a driver by price, okay. uh, which is from uh, number one. That number was that one. clean tech corporate yeah. scenario. The idea that see, because efficiency probably hasn't always been a driver in manufacturing and so forth. Um, well, not environmental efficiency in that no. way. I mean, we've had industries that have just uh, made enormous wastes, and they've yeah. that's just been written off as a manufacturing cost mm-hmm. or a byproduct mm-hmm. with no regard for that. Yeah. So that idea does appeal. That from scenario one, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a pretty stripped-back person. But so you're completely scenario four. <laughs> yeah, probably. Am. But look, as I say, the scenario four thing, I put a bit of a spiel on our dock the other night. We have a we put a lot of uh, our mental vomit into um, this document to put these shows together, and I was kind of pointing out that... Um, yeah, there's like three pages of it. Three here. pages <laughs> of Bushy's brain fart. <laughs> For me, the idea of getting by on very little is kind of second nature you know we had a beautiful childhood growing up we didn't have a great deal of stuff because there wasn't much money and there wasn't much stuff around but we really had a pleasurable and pleasant time of it um but at the same time for me to take that argument to a guy who maybe came from a similar background to me but his motivation was no i want more you know now he's got like a big palatial six bedroom house for four people and he's got a you know I know, motorboat, jet ski and razzle-dazzle, all that sort of stuff. For me to approach him and say, that massive expanse of lawn that you use your John Deere ride on mower on every second Saturday could be better utilised for growing food. It's very very quickly going to turn into go F yourself, maybe violent, all that sort of stuff. Oh, oh dear, what a dystopian future that is. Well, just, you know, (laughs) I mean, if you're trying to convince someone who Mm. has yearned for more... Mm to turn around and go, no, you're better off with less. That, first of all, they probably won't see it. And they're not. And, and a lot of the time, the, they're probably going to have that sense of who's this person interfering with me. I don't like Absolutely. government regulation interfering. You know what I mean? When I think, well, I often think about my dad in this situation. Mm. Grew up in the east end of Glasgow, you know, not, no money, living in a tiny little house, striving to get out of that poverty situation. Mm. So he put himself through uni, managed to get a great job, put us through private school, you know, everything that he'd wanted Mm. for us, he managed to achieve. And for him, his whole life has been getting out of that poverty situation. Mm. So when I try and talk to him about choosing to be frugal, my dad is like, what what are you talking about? Like, why would you choose that life when he spent his whole life trying to get out of it? Yeah. But but there's I think there's a different there's a stark difference between poverty and frugality. I'm not trying to sell to anyone, you know, be a peasant, be poor, be broke, be panicked and stressed. But to get that idea of choosing to be frugal mm. when you've been accumulating yeah. money to not be poor, it's a very you know, it's a difficult conversation mm. to have. So can I tell you guys a little bit about how we came up with these four scenarios? Indeedy. Yeah, great. So, so we haven't just dreamed these up. This wasn't just an office brainstorm one idle afternoon where we thunked about four scenarios. We've actually gone out and asked a lot of people about their visions for 2040. So we've done these big workshops in Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth with what we called um, people likely to influence the future built environment. So this was a big range of people, ranging from kind of multinational construction firms to right down to people in, say, social businesses. So names like Doing Something Good, Earthworker, Live Well Yarra, Shareable, they Mm -hmm. all came along to various workshops. 
We had state government people like Sustainability Victoria, Juna in Adelaide, people from the ABC, people in consultancies in business and finance, all coming along to mm. give their ideas of what a sustainable 2040 might look like in these big, um, really uh, what would you call them, dynamic workshops where everybody got a chance to say a lot of drawing on butcher's paper, a lot of po putting post-it notes up on the walls. I love a butcher's paper Love session. a butcher's paper, <laughs> love a post-it note. We talk a lot about, geez, as um, one of the logistics persons in the team, the amount of post-it notes that I've um, dealt with <laughs> over the last paper three years. Paper cuts, let me tell you. Far out. We're frugal with them, I promise, though. We recycle them. Um, so we've, we've really harnessed some of the, I think, really great built environment thinkers from these cities. And we've gone through this process. First, the process is all about imagining what a desirable 2040 might look like. Mm. We then took all those ideas and asked a team of talented designers to turn them into a range of uh, visuals. So if you go to our website, which is www.visionsandpathways.com, We've got a whole range of fantastic pictures that show you what these futures might look like. Mm. Um, we then started to kind of form them. We started to kind of analyse the information, form them into the four different scenarios. Um, and that's all on our website. So I really urge you to go and check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I really also like the snapshots of the, the day in a life of a person in each scenario. Yes, it's, so you can go yeah. and read about the day in the life of somebody living in a planned, regulated living future mm. or somebody living in the number four, the community balanced living scenario, the series on steroids. They all look quite appealing when yeah, you read these day in, in their lives. own way. Apart from the ones in scenario one where they have to get their little card out to get into the park. Yeah. Well, look, it's happening already. We pay to go to the zoo. There's lots of private private green spaces. Mm. I, I think that it is quite feasible <laughs> I know we're, uh, uh, we're going to have to let you go I just noticed the clock's getting on a bit um, thank you for coming in it's thank you so much Philippa that was fantastic it's quite Look, a bit to digest we'll put a link up well what we urge you to do is go away and have a conversation with your friends and in your workplace about what kind of future you're aiming for mm. what's your vision as a company or as a family mm. for the kind of 2040 you would like mm. and if you'd like to see the pictures go to our website it's visionsandpathways.com and you can email any of us and we can send you pictures we'd love to awesome. chat with you oh just give us a very brief outline of what happens next oh okay so we've got our four scenarios about the future but the next question is well, what do we do to achieve them? Mm -hmm. mm. So if Kate is really keen on planned, regulated living, <laughs> that was Kate's favourite scenario. Can you come up with a snappier name? <laughs> um, let's just call it scenario Dundas two. or death. The Dundas or death. <laughs> the Dundasocracy. Oh, God. Um, look, then Kate needs to think about, well, okay, if that's the future she wants, what actions does she start to take to achieve that future? Maybe I should become mayor. Yes, that's you should. That's a good should. start. Mm. Totally. And if, um, and if Bushy is really keen on scenario number four, community balanced living, what steps could he be taking in his workplace or in his family mm. to achieve that scenario? So mm. I think Bushy's living it right now. As much as I can. No one's perfect and I'm improving every day, but as much as I can, I'm moving <laughs> in that direction. So what we hope this project does is stimulate debate about the kinds of low-carbon futures we want. Yeah. And... Um, what we'll be doing next is working on what we call pathways. That's our jargon for thinking about how policymakers can actually go about taking steps towards these mm. futures. So the next whole stage of the project is about going back to these organisations that were involved, going to policymakers and saying, here's what you can do to achieve low carbon futures. 
Fab. All righty. Well, we're going to have to contribute to it. <laughs> You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. Katie, we're throwing a wild card segment in again this week. What do we got? I thought we could have a quick discussion on rites of passage mm. today. Talking about the future scenarios, then we have to think about ourselves and how we get to a place where we want to be and how we make sure our children get to a place that they're happy with and mm. they feel confident to make good decisions about the future. Yep. So I'm reading a book at the moment called My Year Without Matches by Claire Dunn. I hope hmm. that's the right title off the top of my head. And it's about a year that she spent in the Australian bush um, with no matches and no food. She had to build her own shelter. Awesome. She had to create fire from a little twiddle stick thing. Um, she had to hunt. But she also had to go through this really very confronting process of realising that her, fighting with her mind to say she doesn't need to be busy all the time. It's okay to sit and contemplate stuff and it's okay to not constantly be striving and be, you know, she was trying to get to a place of connection with nature and peace and mm. it's a really honest, interesting, quite confronting book because um, I recognise a lot of stuff about my life and needing to be busy all the time and yep. it being difficult not to be. But that was her rite of passage. And then there was an article that I noticed, I think it was yesterday, no, yeah, November the 15th in the Sydney Morning Herald called The Missing Link in the Making of Good Men. And it's uh, talking about this guy called Arnie Rubenstein um, going through a process of thinking, I think he's a, is he a doctor? Yeah, GP and emergency surgeon, I think. Yeah, so he's he'd noticed that there was all of these teenage boys coming in with all of these terrible anger issues mm. and he, he kept seeing the same thing, the same thing happen again, that they weren't ready to face up to being men. Yeah. They were still boys, essentially. And this was, and it's, this, I think this was interesting because it, it seemed from the article that he'd seen them come through childhood, mm. sprightly, vibrant, outgoing. Yeah, and then and something then, happened. Oh. Yeah, mm. something happened to them that they lost that sprightliness. So he talks in this article about all the cultural rites of passage that... Uh, we know about in other in other cultures. Mm. I mean, some are very brutal um, yeah. and potentially not something that we want to replicate. Um, there's yeah, really awful, brutal things that happen to African women and to Aboriginal boys. Mm. Um, but there is a need to go through a process to take you from being a child to being a teenager mm. and take you from being a teenager into being a man yep. or a woman. You know, what does it mean and what are we trying to be? Who are we trying to be? And does there need to be a recalibrating of our culture to... Yep take us through that transformational process from one stage of our life into another through some ceremony or some, like, yeah. challenge. Well, I, I, I sort of can speak a lot to this. I, I mean, I've when I saw this article, I sort of rang a few people and took a few notes. Um, one thing I want to quickly touch on is uh, my good friend, Joe Mungrel, that is his real name, um, and him and I had a bit of a chat. Now, he grew up... Um, up near the junction of the Murray and Darling Rivers, a little town of 1,200 people. And he talks about having like these independent adventures that are in a controlled setting. So he was talking about heading off into the scrub with the... the basically, the, the caliphate was, you know, you've got to be back 
by dark. Once you're home, you can stay on a property, stay near the house, and stay outside until late into the evening, but you'll be home. Um, his uh, mum and dad knew there was nothing out there that would hurt them, so they, they weren't sent out, you know, go out that direction, and there's mine shafts or whatever. Um, but, you know, from the age of five, he would leave the house every day on a BMX to go somewhere. With other kids, with older kids, um, it'd be camping trips with adults that he spoke about, which was very good observed behaviours, where the, 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 the adults would actually... Uh, kind of cajole each other a little bit and, and there'd be a little bit of shit stirring that would correct bad behaviour of one adult from the other adults. And he observed that growing up. Him and I also were part of a, a group of guys who went camping, I think about two or three years ago. Uh, another friend of ours has about 300 acres up on a river in southern New South Wales. And we had this big father-son weekend. And now it sounds on the out side like oh it's a big piss up and it actually wasn't it was like there was some beers at night when the kids were going to sleep but it was quite an amazing thing where i think there's about 25 dads and up to about 40 kids as a result of those 25 a few guys came along who didn't um, have sons or didn't even have kids but it was quite phenomenal to witness these kids somewhat let loose but very supervised as well like they weren't mm. going to drown in the river they weren't going to be bitten by a snake and while we were watching these kids running around, they were playing a lot of soccer, a lot of football and riding their bikes. And one kid did lose a tooth coming off his bike, but, you know, that's the thing. Um, it was really interesting to watch that because we all stood back and we watched these kids operate amongst themselves. And these kids are grown up together, mostly in Macedon, Woodend, Riddles Creek, that kind of area where it is a little bit lower populous and tight-knit. And they, they would, they'd barely communicated verbally. They had like an almost telepathic... Uh, camaraderie with each other, which we all said, well, look at these kids, look at, the, look at how... They're so incredible. lucky to have grown up in that environment. So lucky. Yeah. And it, There's it, loads a, of research... Sorry to... There's pardon. a quick PS there. Though, most of those kids were part of a group of kids that this year went through a complete clean sweep of all the premierships in the local football, like oh, cleaned really? up other teams. And to, apparently to watch them, I never got to see their games, apparently it was much of the same, almost a telepathic communication mm. and trust. For the kids that grow up in the city, is there's loads of research that shows that kids having adventures with no adult supervision, just mm. on their own, is the best way for them to learn. Yeah. Just running wild on their own. And it makes me think about how we can design the cities to allow that to happen. Yeah. Like We really need to design safe routes for kids to be out on their bikes on their own, like really, mm. really safe cycling routes mm. and spaces that kids can just go absolutely nuts in on their own with no adult supervision. And they do it a little bit in this play yards and things in um, Denmark where they're supervised, but it's dangerous. Yeah. And kids get to play with power tools and jump yeah. off high things and play with big, massive planks of wood. But yeah. you need that element of danger. But, I, I mean, that's not a rites of passage thing. No. That's kids being able to play and have adventures. But maybe there needs to be a more cultural formalised mm. event or something that happens that we can build into the way that we grew up yeah. and I'd to like transition to in between those really, really important life stages mm. where it's emotionally really difficult and to have something that says you need to actually, you know, change. You need to work, understand that you need to be a little bit more independent and this is how you, you do it with yeah. help but yeah. without too much supervision. You have been listening to A Fair Old Chunk of Future Breed Machine by Meshuggah from the album Destroy Race Improve on Greening the Apocalypse. Um, we are going to cut that track short because we've got a little bit of housekeeping to wrap up. Triple R is where you are. Off Grid is not a standard plumbing service. 
Working towards a healthier environment, Offgrid provides innovative plumbing solutions to those wanting to embrace a more sustainable lifestyle. Offgrid caters to the needs of the client as it believes there is no one-size-fits-all approach to conscious living. Based in Northcote and available across wider Victoria. For more info, visit offgridplumbing.com.au. Offgrid Plumbing, a Triple R sponsor. Yes, and Triple R is where you are. And we're commencing the wrap up. And Katie Dundino, the dictator. What is. <laughs> no! No. <laughs> yeah. No. I can't believe Philippa guessed my dark secret. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I trying to imagine to what dictator. your big logo would be like for your. Mm. Anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> Philippa Chandler was pretty awesome tonight, hey, Katie? I thought Philippa Chandler was very great. Mm. Really, uh, quite a complicated project, and she explained it so well. Mm. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks, Philippa. An interesting space to watch. And thank you, Brendan, for hitting the buttons this evening. Um, Katie, it's been wonderful. <laughs> haven't you? Yeah, next week's going to be a cracking show. We are having uh, one of Triple R's favourite sons come in to chat to us. He is the ornithologically awesome Sean the Birdman Dooley, and he's going to come in next week and talk to us about the response of birds to humanity and our... Um, Increasing appetite for space. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.